Welcome to House of Hoops, episode 54. It's Monday night, February 22nd, 2021. I'm Jeff Hausman, coming to you from Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you for listening. Who's with me tonight? Bo Brady is with us on the phone. What up, Bo? Hey, how's it going? What up, man? Sup? Nothing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Tonight we're going to talk some hoops and try to have some fun. Folks can reach us on Twitter at House of Hoops. That's H A U S of Hoops. We're on Instagram at House of Hoops Podcast. You can call us. You can email email us. You can call us. The number is 901-365-75. You can leave a voicemail. You can send a text. You got three minutes of voicemail. Fill it up. All right, Bo. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, it was finally above freezing here. Holy shit. Yeah, the weather, all the ice melted today. Snow is gone. Ice is gone. Snow's oh, gone already. One day. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I was driving somewhere today, and uh, every time I went over a bump, I'm hearing this rattling noise. So I get... To my destination, and I look under the car, and there's like all this fucking shit hanging off the bottom of my car. <laughs> oh, it's all the ice and uh, snow and stuff. No, nah, it's something I ran over. Uh, oh, frozen ice or something. It tore up the bottom of my car. Oh shit! Yeah, so I got to take it to the shop tomorrow. Try to get it, see what's wrong with it, see what they can do to fix it. I guess. Is it the? Is it like the fiberglass body stuff, or is it like something underneath? No, it's like a bunch of metal. I think it's like protective stuff that's there in case you do hit something. It's a skid plate, man. Yeah, it got some oil pan skid plate. I got a Z71 Honda Civic. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it is, but uh, I'm going to have to get it looked at because it's uh, dangling about an inch off the ground. Mm. All this metal stuff. Other than that, everything's fine, though, you know. What have you been up to this week? A uh, little bit of same old everything. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Went ice skating. Yeah, I saw the video you sent me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been on a pair of ice skates since I was at the Mall of Memphis. You look like Bo Gretzky out there. That's what I heard. Apparently, <laughs> I needed to tighten up my skates. They were a little loose at the top. Yeah, you looked a little so. off balance. <laughs> it's a little weird, but I didn't fall. That's good. So that was my goal, and I accomplished that. 
Looked like fun. Yeah, it was. I don't know. I guess I need to learn how to ice skate if I'm going to live in Minnesota. I guess. If you plan on taking the kids out on the ice. Yeah, there's a bunch of ice rinks, out, outdoor ice rinks that are free around here that the city runs. It's pretty cool. So I'm going to encourage the kids to do that as they get older. I just, I think it's, it's, it's fun for them. Should be. Yeah. Like they have pickup hockey. Kids are playing like 10 year old, 12 year old kids are playing pickup hockey games and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm for that. I'm trying to remember when uh, I lived up North, if I ever went ice skating, I think so. I don't know. It's definitely like a thing to do. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Up there. What about you? What have you been up to other than, other than boiling your water? Not much. Just working a lot. Driving around in the snow. Tearing up my car. Watching hoops. I don't know. Not much. Pretty much in survival mode around here with the water issue. Yeah, so is the water, boil water still on? Yeah. The boil boil notice? Yeah, I guess they had like somewhere in between 250 and 300 broken water lines in the city. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where it's coming from, this boil water advisory. Just well, too- the, yeah, the water lines get breached and then mm-hmm. it's not clean water anymore. Yeah. So it could be drinking who knows what. I figure it'll take a while to get it all fixed. Could be a couple weeks. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not sure anybody could tell us. Let's see. One thing I did this week was I did a little homework. Okay. I don't know if you had time to get into any of this, but last week and the week before, we had talked about doing a little something in honor of Black History Month. Mm Mm-hmm. And kind of decided to make it a, a segment. The truth is we do need to remember that African Americans have not always, and to an extent, still do not have the same advantages in life as everyone else. I think it's important not to forget that. I chose to talk about the history of the NBA and its involvement in black history. Did you have time to do anything like that? Yeah, I I read about some black history in in my city in St. Paul. You want to go first? Sure. So here in St. Paul, as any city, there was, and still still in St. Paul, there are different neighborhoods that different ethnic groups live in. And there's this neighborhood that's still here. It's called Rondo. It's named after some French guy whose last name was Rondo with E-A-U at the end, not Rondo like Rajon Rondo. But uh, now the now the neighborhood is just referred to as Rondo, as in Rajon Rondo's last name. Hmm. Anyhow, so it was originally, I think, uh, I think the Jews and Italians lived in the neighborhood, and then in the 1920s, as the Jews began to prosper, they moved out. And during that time, a bunch of African-American families lived in that neighborhood. Once the Jews moved out and moved on up, so to speak, they uh, it became a predominantly African American neighborhood, and they had like two different newspapers in the neighborhood. They had their own businesses. You know, the, the historians and the 
and the current residents of the neighborhood, they, you know, the PBS did a, has done a couple documentaries or pieces on it. And I watched those and, you know, they said that they had a bunch of businesses. You didn't have to necessarily leave the neighborhood. You could keep your money with black businesses. And that's what most people did. It was a thriving neighborhood. So in the sixties, I guess it was the Eisenhower interstate stuff that they were doing. I'm assuming that's what it was. It makes sense. They decided that they were going to put an interstate through the twin cities. And they ended up choosing that neighborhood to sit this put I-94 through. So they ended up tearing down 400 homes, 300, 300 of the homes at that time were black homes. And at the time, one out of every eight African-Americans in St. Paul lost their home. Hmm. So it's just a, you know, that the I-94 rips right through that neighborhood still does in the neighborhood. It's still a neighborhood, but it's just different. It's not, it's not what it once was. Essentially. It's like a reminder that the African-Americans have been disenfranchised and been just told by the white man, what, what's going to, how it's going to be and what's going to happen. It's it's just another reminder of that. So I kind of wanted to, to familiarize my, I've heard the, you know, I knew that was, that that had happened and I just wanted to, to learn more and understand it. And I guess I did. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, gentrification, huh? In a way. Um, so, well, I mean, in this case, instead of the, the more educated and predominantly white people moving into a neighborhood, they just put a damn freeway through it. Right. Well, I, what I mean is like the displacement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people did like, you know, I, it sounds like, you know, some people were okay moving cause they, their house, maybe their house was kind of in disrepair. And so they got fair market value for something that they were thrilled to get fair market value for that. They probably wouldn't have otherwise, mm-hmm. but that's not always the case. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there were some nice homes in there and businesses. So you could say some good out of came, came out of it for like a few individuals in that neighborhood, but ultimately it was a travesty there there is talk though of putting a land bridge over the freeway in saint paul Hmm. and putting some businesses and reconnecting the neighborhood that way which we'll see if that happens but anyway all right it's a little local history of my city so yeah well i'm glad you were able to put something together for us I i think it's important i think it's nice what I did was I kind of researched uh, the history of African Americans in the NBA. It was something I wasn't super familiar with. Surprisingly, once I got into it, there's a lot I didn't know. I think first you got to kind of look at the history of the league itself. The NBA really isn't as old as other American sports. So November 1st, 1946, Toronto. The New York Knickerbockers played the Toronto Huskies in front of 7,090 people at Maple Leaf Gardens. I guess that was quite the crowd, considering basketball was practically unknown at the time. The Knicks won that game, 68-66. to 66. Okay. The game had no shot clock. The jump shot was considered an unnecessary risk. Now, to reference other... Sports, 
The NFL dates back to the 1920s. The MLB dates back to 1869. The NHL, 1917. So you're looking at at least a 20-year gap there in sports. And like 80 between the MLB and the NBA. African Americans first appeared in the NBA in 1950. Chuck Cooper was the first black player drafted in the NBA. Harold Hunter signed with the Washington Capitals, becoming the first African American to sign any contract with an NBA team in history. Now, the first African American to play, to actually play in the NBA, was Earl Lloyd. On October 31st, 1950, 21-year-old Earl Lloyd becomes the first African-American to play in an NBA game when he takes the court in a season opener for the Washington Capitals. A little bit about Earl Lloyd. He grew up in Jim Crow, Virginia, and went to West Virginia State, where he was the star of the school's championship basketball team. I guess... There were, I think, like four players during that season. And this was around the time that Jackie Robinson was playing his first baseball game for the uh, MLB. That was April 15th, 1947. So that was a few years earlier. With the NBA, they went from 1946 to 1950 with no African-American players. It was uh, four years. Basically, let's see a little bit more on those first African-American players. Chuck Cooper, he was the first player drafted in the NBA. He was selected first in the second round by the Boston Celtics. 6'5", small forward, shooting guard. Averaged nearly 7.6 rebounds per game in a six-year career with the Celtics, Milwaukee, St. Louis Hawks. And he ended with the Fort Wayne Pistons, now Detroit Pistons. All right. So then there was another guy, the first player to sign a contract. That was with the New York Knicks. It was forward center Nathaniel Sweetwater Clifton. Before his professional basketball stint, Clifton played for the Harlem Globetrotters. Was also a baseball player in the Negro Leagues. Clifton's NBA career lasted 11 seasons. Clifton's charitable work after basketball continued. And in 2005, the Knicks named its City Spirit Award in the player's honor. More on Earl Lloyd. He was a small forward. He got the jump on his colleagues by becoming the first African-American player to debut in the NBA with the Washington Capitals. Debut. Yep. He then played for the Syracuse Nationals. Ended his career in 1960 with the Detroit Pistons. Lloyd also coached the Pistons squad in 1971-72, becoming the NBA's third African-American head coach. Although his coaching career was short-lived, after leaving the Pistons, Lloyd enjoyed a career as a Pistons scout, credited with recruiting future players like Hall of Famer Willis Reed, Earl Monroe, he went on to work with the Detroit public school system. 
He was inducted in the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2003. He has a biography that's out there in 2009. It's called uh, Moon Fixer, The Basketball Journey of Earl Lloyd. Earl Lloyd passed away in 2015 at the age of 86. It's interesting to me that Earl Lloyd still remains fairly unknown to most NBA fans today. All right. Did you know who Earl Lloyd was? No, I did not. I didn't either. He kind of uh, refused to be associated with the Jackie Robinson era, the whole number 42 story, you know, because that was kind of a big deal. The Jackie Robinson thing was a big deal. He's quoted saying, in 1950, basketball was confidential, and it didn't have the notoriety of baseball. He goes on to say, I don't think my situation can can be compared to Jackie Robinson, who was playing in a hostile environment with teammates that didn't want to be with him. In basketball, the guys were kind of used to being integrated right out of college. There was just a different mentality. Basically, it was just a different mentality. Like the players were happy to be playing together. There wasn't like a lot of animosity. I think Earl Lloyd's story should forever be linked to the history of the NBA and the fight against racial segregation in American professional sports. In 1955, the Syracuse Nationals won an NBA title, making Lloyd and teammate Jim Tucker the first black players to play for a championship team. Earl Lloyd played a key role on that team, averaging 10 points, 7.7 rebounds. So again, it was three years after Jackie Robinson when all of uh, this happened in the NBA. And yet, I don't feel like they've ever gotten the recognition that they deserve as black athletes of early years as they did in bigger sports like the MLB. It didn't take long for those players and the wall that was between African-Americans and the NBA to come tumbling down and created a league today that has more players, coaches, and executives of color than any of the others. Only in the NBA do you find as many African-Americans. Bill Russell debuted for the Celtics in 1956, turned into the NBA's first black superstar. A decade later... In the midst of the Celtics' era of dominance, he became the NBA's first black head coach. Wilt Chamberlain entered the league in 1959, Oscar Robinson in 1960, and the names that followed are some of the most iconic in NBA history, from Elgin Baylor to Julius Irving to Kareem and Magic. By the time Michael Jordan made his debut in 1984, the NBA's biggest stars were predominantly black. And that's my look back at the history of African Americans in the NBA. Nice work. I learned I learned a lot of stuff I, I did not know about. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, Earl Lloyd, a name that I don't think I've ever heard. Not once. I definitely have not. Well, that was fun. I thought it was important for us to do something like that. Should we move on? Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's see. I guess let's jump right into like NBA news. 
All right, let's do it. What'd you see this week in NBA news? Uh, well, the first was it the first head coaching firing of the season? Ryan Saunders. Ah, uh, yes. With the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. Tough spot there, Minnesota. Yeah, he hadn't had Towns in Russell for more than like a handful of games, mm-hmm. and. I saw someone else, someone point point out that he hasn't even coached a full season. He had he took over for Tibbs when Tibbs got fired, and then he had last year, which was like the pandemic season, and then he got fired this year. So he hasn't really had a chance mm-hmm. at all. They got seven wins and twenty four losses. Yeah, they're not looking good. Yeah. But they've been hurt, and somebody's got to be at the bottom. So, and I think I, it sounds like he's probably not that good of a coach, or maybe, maybe hell, maybe he is. He just hadn't had a chance to show it. You know, I didn't know this, but apparently he was offered the lead assistant on Fisdale's staff, apparently, but he turned it down. And Fisdale's staff in Memphis, maybe it was Fisdale's staff in New York, because he had Bickerstaff, yeah. who was his guy. I think that was maybe. I was listening to a podcast with Britt Robinson and who's the other guy? Britt Robinson's covered the league, the Wolves for a long time. And then there's this young, younger guy. It's Dane Moore, who's covers the Wolves. And they were talking about this. Let me see if I can find this. Did they, did you hear like any no. reason why they blamed the, it on coaching? I just think they, the results have just been piss poor this year. And Gerson Rosas, the president of basketball operation, he did not hire Ryan Saunders. So he's not Ryan Saunders guy. And the Wolves, it's really strange. Usually when you, like we've followed the Grizz for the past 20 years and every time they fired a coach, they, they just promote somebody from internally. Mm-hmm. You know, the most ridiculous one was when they fired Fratello, they promoted... Um, was that Tony Baroni? Baroni, which he was, <laughs> he wasn't even assistant coach, was he? He was like in the front office. I feel like he was like a scout or something. Yeah, it was. He had no business being an NBA coach. Basically, they just, <laughs> it, it was just Heisley saying, All right, Baroni, I'm not giving you a raise, but you're coaching the team. <laughs> Get in there and uh, speed the tempo up. Yeah. Baroni ball. Mike Miller scored like 50 points a game. <laughs> yeah, I I have to send a tweet to Dane Moore and Britt Robinson and say, are you sure it was Fisdale and Saunders in Memphis? Because that was a long time ago. I don't remember. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I, I'm getting off topic. So anyway, the, the, the Wolves hired who did they hire? I don't even know this guy's name. He's, Chris he was like, Finch. The, it was Chris yeah, Finch. Finch. He's, yeah. he was the, he's the lead assistant for Nick nurse in Toronto. Yeah. And so mid season, they poached him from, from someone else's bench, which is kind of crazy when they had, uh, was it Vanderpool's on the wolves bench who, who by all accounts is, is ready to be a head coach. Even Damian Lillard. He worked with Damon CJ in Portland and by all accounts is a, qualified and capable mm-hmm. i saw that tweet you sent me from dame lillard talking about him 
Yeah, so like this guy's already there. So it's a little weird how they handled it, but apparently Finch and Gerson Rosas, they were together in Houston. And when Rosas was the president of basketball ops or the GM for the Rio Valley, whatever they are, the Houston G League team, Finch was the head coach there. And that was, you know, that was the G League team that only shot threes and did layups. So those two guys have a history together. The yeah. main history of working together at least. So yeah, there's already a relationship there. Yeah. So I guess he wanted to get his guy and he got his guy, but Chris Mannix was slamming it saying it was, you know, completely kind of, it's kind of inappropriate. Is what. But I don't know if uh Finch is really good and they start turning the corner or they at least look better mm-hmm. then it's not going to look stupid. Yeah. I don't think it's the coaching over there. Is it the players? Is it the roster? I mean, firing the head coach is what a GM does to save his own job. When an owner well, that's says, what, is it the players yeah. or the coaching? That's what they were saying is that, you know, like one as a GM, you have, you know, some walls basically. Like you have the, the, the coaches up, the coaches there, so you can kind of be behind the coach. But once you fire the coach and that wall is taken down, you're a little bit exposed. Yeah, I'd be so, willing to bet he's next. <laughs> right. Well, he's hired. He's got a multi-year contract. I don't know. You know, it's interesting that in that podcast, Dane Moore was saying that if they can't figure it out with Carl Anthony Towns, that he thinks that the Timberwolves are just going to they're going to move, is what he said. <laughs> but I heard Simmons today in his podcast basically say that if this Towns thing doesn't work, that it could work out in Minnesota's favor because you have a team that was willing to give, you know, seven first round picks is what Simmons says, but you know, like, you know, a couple good young players and then a bunch of pick swaps basically. And it might actually, that might actually For reboot, reboot a wolves rebuild. Tell them how to trade for towns. Yeah. If they oh. decide to unload towns. Ooh. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I have admittedly not paid that much attention to the Wolves this year. They have not been good. And typically, if I'm going to watch an entire Wolves game, it's because I'm at the game. Not because I'm going to sit down and watch it on TV. So even though I live in this city, I have not paid attention to them for the most part. You got to think you're not the only one. <laughs> I mean, I don't think. I look yeah. at that roster and I say, who put this together? This man should be fired. We've talked about it before. I'm not a fan of D'Angelo like Russell or Carl Anthony Towns. I don't like either of those guys. They're not winners. I don't know if any coach, like maybe if they were on the Spurs, they could be wrangled in a little bit. I don't know. Oh, yeah, if they were on the Spurs, I mean, they had – a system, sure. If you put Cat into that Lamarcus Aldridge role, sure. Uh, hmm. With Derek White and Deontay Murray and Rudy Gay as a role player, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Malik Beasley's been good this year, from what I've read and seen. And yeah, the Wolves should they have taken Lamelo Ball probably, but you know the jury's out on Anthony Edwards. Yeah. 
They do have a bright spot, I guess, the potential of Anthony Edwards. Lamella looks like the better player right now. Oh, yeah, Lamella looks awesome. All right, so... There's that that news. It might be fun to keep an eye on their record going forward. Yeah. So they got seven wins now. What do they end the season with? Eight, nine. <laughs> All right. Well, my news from the NBA this week was Portland injuries. Now, this is based on Yosef Nurkic and CJ McCollum both practicing this week. Portland's been riddled with injuries. They've got $45 million worth of injuries, and that's just three guys. CJ's 29, Nurk's 12 million, and Zach Collins is 5 million. The report is that CJ McCollum has a left midfoot fracture. He's out at least one more week. He'll be reevaluated next week. Nurkic with his right wrist fracture. They don't really have a timetable on that. That could be a little longer. But I think CJ is getting close to coming back. Zach Collins with his left ankle stress fracture. The team's starting power forward last season still has no timetable for his return either, though he hopes to return by the season's end. So they're hoping to have all these guys ready for a playoff push. What's interesting to me is that Portland is still winning games. They still remain in the playoff picture despite missing these three key players. Right now, Portland's in fifth place at 18 and 11. And that's basically single-handedly Damian Lillard. MVP Damian Lillard. (laughs) Pretty much all the news that I did this week was looking at Portland injury stuff and kind of seeing what was going on there. I think uh, Nurk and CJ are close to coming back, and they're just hoping to have Zach Collins by the time the playoffs roll around. Uh, Having a healthy roster this year would be huge for Portland going into the playoffs. They haven't had that in a while. What other injuries? Uh, Anthony Davis is out for at least four weeks. Yeah. Probably be longer than that. I imagine they'll make sure he's 100% before he plays again. Other NBA news is that the NBA All-Star break is coming up March 5th. And then the second half of the season will begin on March 11th. All right, so that's like a week and a half away. All right, so a week and a half, Bo. All right. Any other NBA news? I can't think of anything. You covered the... Davis injury and all-star break creeping up on us. Mm-hmm. Trade deadline is what now? March 25th. So a month away. March 25th trade deadline. Okay. Yeah. I guess maybe next week or the week after we can get into some trade rumors. Yeah. I'll try to keep tabs on anything I hear. All right. Well, let's move on then. What What do you want to talk about tonight? We can look at some of the advanced stats and see if we can, like, def- defensive and offensive efficiency and see who's at the top of those and see if we can make anything of that at this point in the season. Sure. Where are you going for that? Let me pull this up. Yeah, ESPN has 
a Hollinger offensive and defensive efficiency. Really, it's not that surprising. For offensive efficiency, the top five teams, actually the top six teams will interest you. Brooklyn's one, Clippers two, Utah three, Milwaukee four, Denver five, and Portland six. And at the bottom, you have Cleveland, Oklahoma City, and Minnesota, which is not surprising. And then the top defensive teams, L.A. and Utah, are one and two. And then right behind them are the Knicks. And then you have Houston, Golden State, and Philly. In the bottom, you have Sacramento, New Orleans, Portland. Houston, huh? That's what it says, Houston. Hmm. I guess that's why they're getting rid of DeMarcus Cousins. You know, they're going to – that's something we kind of missed in the news. Yeah. Cousins is getting either traded or released. I think part of that is his inefficiencies on defense. He doesn't move the way he used to. I think they want to move Christian Wood when he gets healthy into that starting spot. Right. Cousins just doesn't fit. I think he gets beat on defense. He just can't defend. Or long, especially for long periods of time in the game. But Houston apparently is very good defensively now. So who else was on that list? On the, t- the top? Yeah. Yeah, the Lakers, Utah, mm-hmm. New York, New York. Houston. All right. New York's not a surprise. No? That's With coaching. Tibbs. Yeah. Yeah. Any team can be defensive. Any team. If the coach is staying on it, preaching defense. I'm a little frustrated right now. We were watching the Grizzlies game earlier. They've gotten blown out two straight games. When I when I hear about coaches like the Knicks turning around because they have like a defensive-minded coach or a coach that's putting in a lot of effort and holding his players accountable, it like frustrates me. So I'm like, the Grizzlies could be the Knicks. The Grizzlies could be just as good as the Knicks. I don't see the Knicks getting blown out. And if you're talking about defensive efficiency, where are the Grizzlies on that list? The The Grizz? No, they're 18, like right in the middle. Really? I figured they'd be even worse. All right. I can't handle any more of these blowouts, man. These games are, like, unwatchable. These Grizzlies games. We We went from praising them, saying how good they were, to now they just can't. They can't fucking do anything. What else do you have for uh, efficiencies? It's funny. You look at so the Grizzlies are 18th, and then the Wolves are not far behind them. They're depending on if you look at Hollinger, if you look at Basketball Reference, mm-hmm. the Hollinger has the the Wolves at 19, and then the Timberwolves on Basketball Reference at 22. But the Nuggets are kind of in there too with the Grizzlies on defensive efficiency. I, you know, I don't know what's going on with the Grizz defensively. Melton's kind of still coming back, it, uh, it looks like. Yeah. I think they'll get better. Justice Winslow looks really good on defense in the uh, two, couple games he's played now for Memphis. We can get more into that in our pick game. But his awareness and his uh, alertness on defense and the way he's moving and he can cover almost any player out there because of his size, 
I think Winslow is going to help the Grizzlies on defense. Picturing like a lineup of Dylan Brooks and Winslow and Melton all on the court at the same time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Can you play Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow at the same time? I would think so. I mean, Brooks, you have to guard Brooks on defense. You can't can't ignore him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Winslow... Yeah, I think you have to respect the guy offensively. He's not. Yeah, you're just kind of small. If you're, especially if you're playing DeAnthony Milton at the two or something, that puts that puts Winslow probably at the four. That's a little small. They're gonna have to figure out which one of those guys starts. Yeah. Right now, I'd I think say you can it's Dylan. play them all. Yeah, they got a lot of wing players now. They're all kind of grouped in there together. Like the same like tier or class of player. Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, Justice Winslow. Yep. It's like kind of the same category of player there. Hmm. Jenkins has got his work cut out for him. Coach Jenkins. He does. Well, he does run that 10-man rotation, so having a lot of wings is not such a bad thing. I saw Chris Harrington recommended or like presumed or assumed or whatever he said. It kind of made sense that if you're going to run a 10-man rotation and you have 13 players that are rotation worthy, that you can still run that 10-man rotation instead of like giving players, you know, DMP CDs. You, you, you know, if Dylan Brooks has a nagging injury or Winslow does or slow-mo does or whatever, you can give those guys a night off for rest and still, you know, run, mm. run deep with competent players. And I thought that was actually a really good point. If you're going to run the 10, 10 man rotation that, and you have a bunch of good wings that maybe, you know, something doesn't have to give, you just kind of let it ride. Having too many of the same players, not my idea of having a winning team. You got too many guys that do the same shit. Yeah, you can rotate and everybody can play 20, 25 minutes. You look at what Thibodeau's doing over in New York, and he's playing like eight guys. Mm -hmm. Which would you rather have, I guess, as far as player development? I don't know. I'm going nowhere. What else do you have on player efficiencies? That's about it. I just want to see if there was anything that we could look at and that stood out from those things. Mm -hmm. All right. I guess, Bo, we should probably move on to our pick game of the week. Yeah, let me take a quick break. Sure, go grab ahead. a Grab a hams. You should. Do you want a hams? Go get a hams. I, right. got, I got Budweiser's. Hey. What are you looking at? You were like looking at your screen? Yeah, just reading this text. Oh. Top shot yesterday, 19.8 million in total transactions. That was the record today. On top shot, 47. Yeah, 47.29. <laughs> I mean, I tried to get, there was a drop today I tried to get in on, but I was 70,000 in the line. Yeah. I, uh, was, I, I think I was my, in the same one. <laughs> no, turn my notifications on. I don't really care. I don't see how it's sustainable. It's like a, who wants to pay $200,000 for a gift? It's not the gift that you're buying, it's the value of the gift that you're buying. Like bit, I don't understand. Like, I don't 
but that makes no sense. It's like Bitcoin. It's because they have different levels and there's limited edition. So some right. of them, there's only like 50 of them. Right. I get that. And it's a rarity thing. So you get the rare ones and then you attach a player's name to it and, and, it, it, and it, holds, it. it holds value. There's only so many of them. It's basically, it's cryptocurrency with, well, MB, see, with I, NBA yeah. licensing. It's, it's crazy, but I will pay $9 for a pack Yeah, and happily sell it for, you know, whatever card for $300 or whatever. <laughs> I invested like $300 into a couple cards. Couple, oh, you did couple, buy some. A couple moments. Yeah, I've invested more money than that in companies I know nothing about on the market. Wall Street market. So, so what moment did you buy? I got Jeremy Grant, one of his, and then I got a R.J. Barrett, like a low serial number R.J. Barrett. Okay. I mean, that's the Knicks, so that's a good one. Yeah, those are both players I feel like have room to grow. I feel like uh, Top Shot is kind of like buying, like you want to buy the stock while it's low. Mm-hmm. So if a name has a potential to break out or be better or bigger, especially a New York guy. Right. I, uh, I lo- I'm just looking at it as like an investment. So I invested $300 into this thing. Right. It's, and if you lose it, whatever. It's not that much money. And if it goes up, it goes up. We'll see how, see how it goes. Right now, the, I think is it's exploding. Yeah, it is. It's not going, it's not trending downward. <laughs> That's definitely not. I kind of wish I had gotten into it a couple months ago when a, a buddy of mine was texting me about it. He's like trying to explain it to me and he's explaining what he's done and what he's turned his small amount of money into. Yeah, what's that money now? He's flipped it into quite a bit of money that could keep going up. I don't know if it's going to be possible to get these like these packs. You got I think you just have to time it right. Get lucky. You do have to get lucky. You get seventy thousand people waiting for five thousand packs. Well, you have to get the notification and happen to be at your computer at that time. Yeah, I just randomly signed on there and saw that they were they had one open, and I got in the line or whatever the queue line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "There's no way this is going to work." <laughs> I don't know. How do they adjust for this newfound demand? Do they up their supply or do they keep the steady roll of things? It'll be interesting to see if they saturate the market and try to just gobble up money. People are just buying, buying, buying. It's a small investment, whatever. I just thought I'd dip my toe in it. Anyway, enough about Top Shot. Let's get on with the pick game. The game was the Phoenix Suns versus the Memphis Grizzlies Saturday night in Memphis. Bo, did you watch it? I watched the first half. Yeah. It was a, I felt like it was an important game for Memphis just to kind of see where they stood against one of the top teams in the West. There's a couple interesting matchups, but the Grizzlies had some players out. We wondered if Memphis could keep up with Phoenix. When we picked the game, we didn't know that there was going to be like seven guys out for the Grizzlies. I kind of focused on early rotations for Memphis. 
also the game was interesting because it was Justice Winslow's first game. He hasn't played since January 8th of last year. That's over a year. Phoenix was favored by six and a half. They were 11 and two in the last 13 games. They were fans at the game. 1,994 fans. That's 11% of the capacity of 18,400 in a FedEx forum. That's that's some fans. A couple thousand. I don't think Phoenix was really missing any players in this game. Uh, Jalen Smith, whatever. He's their rookie. Bo. Bo. Yes, I'm here. Bo. Yeah, am I muted? No. (laughs) (laughs) For Memphis, they were missing Grayson Allen, Kyle Anderson, and Brandon Clark. They were all out for rest. Jaron continued to just not play. Dylan Brooks is out due to soreness in his right thigh. That's seven players total out. And then there's a couple guys I didn't mention that are like lower-end players that don't ever play. Conchar got 28 minutes. Why? It's all garbage time? Slomo was out. I don't know. I didn't watch the second half. You tell me. I didn't really watch much of it either, but he was definitely out there all of the second half. Just 24 minutes in the second half. He led the team in minutes. John Conchar led the Grizzlies in minutes. Gross. Was there anything that you noticed in this game that you want to talk about specifically? No, it's just I, th- I think it was one of those. The Grizzlies were in four and five nights territory. They only hit five three pointers hmm. for fifteen percent, five for thirty three, and then the opponent, the Suns, hit fifty two percent for twenty four forty six threes, and th- that's the game, man. They they were up by thirty one at the half. The Suns were, and they had hit thirteen threes in the first half. I mean, I think that was the game. Phoenix was just hammering the threes. Yeah, Mikel Bridges. Everybody was on fire. I need to get me a Mikel Bridges top shot card. You do. A moment or whatever the fuck you call them. Mikel Bridges and Keldon Johnson. Those are my next targets. If I do decide to put more money in. (laughs) Uh, Memphis went up 5-0 right away after about four minutes. I was thinking, watching the game, like, oh, 5-0. Like, the Grizzlies came out, and they looked all right. Mm-hmm. Made some shots. One thing I noticed is how well Phoenix was sharing the ball, even when they were down early in the game. Everybody on that team is getting a chance to shoot. They're passing the ball. Everybody's getting opportunity. Well, Phoenix caught back up pretty quickly. It was tied at 11 at the six-minute mark in the first quarter. And about this time was the point in the game where Justice Winslow checked into a Grizzlies game for the first time ever. He checked in for DeAnthony Melton. All the other starters stayed in, and the Suns took the lead. The Grizzlies would not lead the game again. At about four minutes left, Coach Jenkins pulled all of the starters out. The Suns only subbed two starters out. The Suns got their lead up to 10 quickly and then subbed two more bench players in, leaving Devin Booker as the only starter of the game still in. So we've got our entire bench 
in the game playing against uh, Devin Booker and a very good <laughs> Suns bench. The Suns bench is really good. They are good. I made a note that Winslow looked very engaged on offense and defense, mostly on defense. I just really liked the way he was communicating and kind of covering everybody's back on He's defense. He's a Duke guy. He seemed really focused and dialed in on defense. Yeah. His shots were not going in. I think that was pretty well expected that his shots wouldn't be going in. And so Memphis is missing like key reserve guys off the bench. Grayson Allen, Brandon Clark. You could even consider Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks bench guys. Maybe. The rotations aren't super clear. Like the starters, I'm not even sure. Coach Jenkins knows what he's going to do there. But the Phoenix bench is way better with us missing those three or four guys. Way better bench. Blew Memphis away. Watching Winslow take shots, I'm not a huge fan of his jump shot, his stroke. I just hope he still remembers how to pass the ball. He still has his great defensive energy and awareness. Uh, He was not in the game to start the second quarter, though. So he played those about six minutes in the first and then uh, did not come back in. I don't know if this is true to you, but I found it hard not to just watch Memphis. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're Grizzlies fans. Just really wasn't watching what Phoenix was doing as close as I probably should have. I tried to fix it while watching the game, but it was just tough to not focus on what Memphis was doing, especially as they started to struggle more and more in the game. I did pay attention to Phoenix a mm-hmm. little bit. I mean, it's hard not to watch Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about how Booker and him play together. So uh-huh. I did pay attention to that to a certain degree. Did you get anything out of that? Like what Chris Paul's see? really good. What did you, <laughs> you see? Just a, it's, you know, Chris Paul is still elite, elite, elite. Mm-hmm. And Booker having that sort of a backcourt mate just makes him so much more effective and confident. I just feel like Booker's a different player playing next to Chris Paul. They're a good fit. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, Booker's not having to do as much. Like Chris Paul kind of sets the table, and Booker's are allowed to maybe focus more defensively or running around and getting open, mm-hmm. getting his teammates into place. It's almost like he can just kind of pick up the slack a little bit. He doesn't have to be the main focal point. And, really dictate the offense so much. Like that's Chris Paul's job now. I think that works for both of those guys. Right. Yeah. Let's see, getting back to the game. I was watching the rotations a lot because I was just kind of curious what they were going to do. Grizzly starters started coming back in the game with about eight or nine minutes left in the second. At this point, they're down like 17 points. Our starters are coming back. At the seven-minute mark, In the second, Chris Paul passed Oscar Robinson for sixth on the all-time assist list. So that's kind of like a historic moment in the game. Yes, it was. It's big time. Dude, Stockton leads that list, and it's like not even close. (laughs) (laughs) If you go back and look, no, it's not. (laughs) 
<laughs> Stockton's assist. He's like, what is it, like 15,000 or something? Yeah, it's Stockton at 15,000. And the second one is Jason Kidd at 12,000. And Stockton's is almost 16,000. It's 15, 8. 3,000 assists, a lot of assists. That's the difference between, it's almost 4,000. That's a big difference between first and second. Like 4,000 assists, that's, uh, that's probably like 30th overall. <laughs> and then number three is Steve Nash at 10,000. Mark Jackson's kind of the surprise when I was looking at this the other day. Mark Jackson's at fourth at 10,300. He's only one assist short of Steve Nash for third. <laughs> this is Magic Johnson at fifth. Chris Paul at sixth with uh, 9,891. Oscar Robinson at 9,887. And LeBron James, 9,592. And the list goes on and on. It's great point guards. It's Isaiah Thomas, Gary Payton, Westbrook's up there. Rondo, Maurice Cheeks. Chris Paul's had a long, good career. And he's still about 6,000 assists short of John Stockton. 6,000 assists will get you like 25th in the, league, in the history of the NBA. All right. Did you hear, uh, I guess, Devin Booker went and got the game ball after the game? Gave oh, he it, did? Yeah, he gave it to Chris Paul. I did not hear. Sure, you, did... know, you know why he did it? No, why? Out of respect. Devin Booker might not be as uh, bad a person as I thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's bad, dude. I don't think so either. I thought he was just cocky when he was younger. He still might be. Maybe that's what it takes, though, to be an NBA great. You gotta have a little. You gotta have some confidence. You gotta be a little cocky, I think. All these guys are out there talking trash, talking shit the whole game. You got to be able to take it, and you got to be able to spit it back. Let's see. Back to the game. Phoenix was up uh, 20 around this time where Chris Paul makes that record-breaking assist. At this point, Phoenix is just out there playing games. Memphis looks frantic, sloppy. They're not playing with poise or control from what I could tell. I'm just watching the players just flying around the court, making bad passes, taking bad shots. Nothing's going Memphis's way. And Phoenix is just piling it on from three. Just one after another. They're just out there playing games. They look like a video game. Like when you get ahead in a video game and all of a sudden you can't miss a shot. Mm -hmm. and the other team is just like, can I just make a two? Can I just get like a fucking foul or anything? And he just can't. I mean, Phoenix was pretty much uh, just shooting threes exclusively at one point. Anything else, Bo? What do you got? You watched it the was, game. Watch the first half. It you was watched just the first ugly. half. What'd you get? It was it was ugly. Yeah, it was ugly. I wanted to make a joke about slow mo not being in the game, and that was the difference. And <laughs> slow mo's the MVP of, of the season. It's the Grizz VP. Yeah, the Grizz VP, which actually kind of kind of has been. Yeah. Or maybe Valanchunas. Yeah. That's it's a toss-up. That's true. 
Bo's analysis of the game is that it was unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> Possibly. Definitely. At one point, I was watching the game, and uh, Brevin on the Grizzcast applauded Justice Winslow for his defense, confirming what I was seeing with him had like a little merit, I guess. I was like happy to hear that. I was like, okay, it's not just me seeing what I want to see. It was mm -hmm. somewhat real. Grizzlies offense, total trash. More Phoenix threes. I don't know if you caught this part. At one point, Justice Winslow got fouled and had to go to the free throw line. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't really care. Like I didn't like the way he looked in his eyes. He looked shaken. He looked worried. It looked like he had like no confidence. He missed both of the free throws. And uh, actually, after the first one, John Morant came over and said something to him, pat him on the chest. Like he was trying to like boost him up a little bit. I think Winslow just, he wasn't, he, he, hadn't, he hasn't played basketball in over a year. Yeah, I don't think he felt super confident in his game throughout the game, especially on offense. After the first half, Phoenix was up 31 points. And it, I guess this is when you turned it off, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was done at that point. It was 65 to 34. Memphis is putting up 34 in the first half and letting Phoenix score 65. That's blowout. John Morant looked super frustrated many times during this game. He looked frustrated with the game, and he looked like he was kind of getting frustrated with the referees. I don't know if you've noticed this with the Grizzlies recently, but John Morant is taking hits in the lane. He's getting bumped. A lot of it's uh, him taking floaters, but he's taking abuse getting in the lane scoring and he's not getting calls and you'll see him he just at this point he's just throwing his hands up in the air every time he takes a hit if it goes in or not i mean he just looks so frustrated he, he i don't think he feels like he's getting respected by the referees in the league and he probably isn't he may have a case because a lot of times he takes a lot of hits i don't know bo I'm pretty much checked out in the game in the second half. Yeah, I just couldn't focus. Normally, I will watch the pick game all the way through, but I just uh, I could not focus on it. It was just... It's fucking hard to watch. Devin Booker plays 26 minutes, gets 23 points. John Morant plays 26 minutes, gets 12 points. Goes to the free throw line twice. Cameron Payne. Off the bench for Phoenix, plays 25 minutes, gets 19 points, 7 assists. I mean, that's like a career game for him. He shot 70% from the field. Even Dario had a good game. Dario's not been good this year. He only played 19 minutes, got 19 points. And it's threes. I mean, it's everybody hitting threes. Aiden's the only guy that didn't shoot a damn three in the game for Phoenix. That's the league, man. Bang them and hang them up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not our best pick for a pick game. No, I did send it to our group text we have going on. I did send the day before the game. Uh, fourth game in five nights. I don't know about this game, boys. Yeah. And that wasn't supposed to be the case, but I guess the league is fitting in games for us 
because of all the ones we missed. Memphis, that is. Well, we just didn't look at the schedule very hard. So let's pick another fourth and five nights. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody else is playing. Any other teams are playing four out of five nights. No, probably not. Possibly the Knicks T Wolves game would have been better. The Tibbs fatality on Ryan Saunders. Finish him. The Knicks, yeah. Dude, Tibbs killed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of that Saunders thing might have been uh Minnesota's been they they went one in five since Carl Anthony Towns returned. So you get oh, your, it's been it's been brutal, yeah. Get your best player back and you still can't win. Well, and then they hadn't had Russell, like I said. Mm-hmm. Russell's been out. Not that Russell's any good, but is he out for the season, Russell? He it's no, I think it's four to six weeks or something, like a clean up or uh, orthoscopic knee surgery. He had his meniscus repaired. He'll be back in two weeks. Yeah, he'll be ha, on. Ha, ha, he'll be ha, on ha, ha, ha. two weeks. He should be uh, rehabbing. Swelling should be no, going no, down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I this game. Like our pick game here, like I felt like I was hitting the wall watching it. Oh yeah, man. I was like, Oh, I can't fucking handle this. I can't watch another bad game. We've gotta get a better pick game this next one. <laughs> we gotta find something a little more fun to watch. I don't know. Maybe I'm hitting the wall in general for the season. I'm ready for an all star break. You know, life has just been uh, a bit much. For a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A bit of NBA news. Okay. Gordon Hayward hurt his hand in the in the jazz game. I was watching it actually as it happened. Tonight? He Yeah, he fell on his hand and he looked like it he had actually it hurt. So he left and went to the locker room and did not return. Gordon Hayward. We said it. Beginning of the season, Gordon Hayward gets hurt. Yeah, but he like fell. Like it wasn't, he just landed on his hand. Like mm-hmm. he kind of got tripped up, it looked like. Or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Utah won that game 132 to 110. Some young buck went seven for seven from three. Who? They all showered, had the game on, they showered him with water bottles. Ah. Uh, Gorgie's Nang. This guy averages 4.7 points a game. He went 7-7 seven seven from 3. Yeah. 16 minutes. Oh. He's the next Duncan Robinson. You need to go buy his uh, moment. I gotta go buy his stock. He probably doesn't have any. I tried I to buy... I pl- huh? played him in D- uh, Daily Fantasy today. Probably not. <laughs> I tried to buy a Desmond Bain moment there there are none hmm. and brandon clark's is like a layup i was like oh, i'll wait for a better brandon clark one <laughs> it's a put back layup that's funny <laughs> why is that why is that his virtual moment a fucking layup nobody cares that's why nope grizzlies get no respect they gotta earn it fuck it chicago one against Houston. I might have won some money tonight. I did not. I think the only game I missed was uh, Memphis losing to Dallas. Fuck. 
Or stop betting on Memphis. Yes, you well, you can bet against Memphis. And they'll yeah. start winning again. That's that's your problem. Yep. I just gotta keep Memphis out of the fucking equation. They're they're too up and down. Hot cold, hot cold. Speaking of Memphis, how'd they do last week? Five hundred. And that's pretty good. Actually, we'll take that. They lost to the Pelicans and the Suns. They beat Oklahoma and they beat Detroit. You want to look at the uh, Grizz schedule for next week? Yeah. All right, they're playing Dallas, Clippers, Clippers, Houston. Ooh. 500? About no 100. Yeah, probably not. Well, they just lost to Dallas. That's one. And they lose the Clippers twice. Probably. Houston's, if they're going to play good defense. Yeah. It's not looking good. Yeah. Maybe they can sneak one in on the Clippers. Maybe the Clippers do some resting. Maybe they can go one and three. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So, Bo, what's going on with uh, Daryl Morey these days? Seventy Sixers, yeah. How are they doing? People are talking about uh, Joel Embiid as a MVP candidate. First place in the East. Yeah. How long do they stay there? The oh, Nets. The Nets. Nets, man. And oh, wow. Durant's out. Holy shit! Six straight wins. You think they got their shit together yet? James Harden's playing like the damn MVP. I know, and. Th- you know, people talk about their defense, and we've covered this before, but this D'Antoni, he doesn't care about defense. I mean, it's Nash, obviously, as the head coach, but D'Antoni's his, his guy. Mm-hmm. So you know that he's got all the influence. What I've come to realize with the Nets is that it's all just the effort wasn't there. Watching Jeff Green get destroyed on defense and DeAndre Jordan halfway trying – I think the those situations have been kind of uh, aired out and rectified. And they got two MVPs on that team. Uh, James Harden's playing like an MVP right now. He's the number one player in the league right now for the last two weeks at least. And then Kevin Durant is that guy that people were saying, maybe he's the MVP. You got, you got two MVPs? They're on a six-game winning streak? Yeah. Preseason predictions of Nets versus Lakers is starting to look very real. How is a team like the Celtics or the Raptors going to have a chance? I don't think they do. Yeah, the Raptors, I mean, with the East, you look at it, the four seed is, as of recording, the four seed is the Pacers, mm-hmm. and they're just barely above 500. Same with the Raptors and the Celtics at six seed or five. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's tight. It's almost like the, the Knicks just a Julius Randle supernova away from the the four scene. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Rose. I know. Yeah, there's quite a bit of jumble in there. East. Same goes for the West. The jumble in the West starts at about the seventh seed. Where in the East it starts at about the fourth seed. Oh, that's crazy. So it's a little I higher know, gr- ranking. Like we're like we're you know, worried about the Grizz, but how would they be doing in the East? It's kind of funny, right? They'd definitely be in playoff in the playoff picture. All right, I don't have a lot else 
to talk about. Brian bailed on us this week. He got a little busy with work. He had said he was either going to come on or leave us a voicemail, and that didn't happen. But that's okay. That's okay. No, it's fine. You got other shit to do. As far as gambling this week goes, Saturday I did a little uh, two-leg underdog parlay. I took Charlotte over the Warriors and Miami over the Lakers. It was plus 381. And that actually paid off. I was thinking Miami had the edge. Miami's getting healthy. They're trying to make a push to get into the playoffs. And then what I've seen from Charlotte, well, they were making strides to get a lot better. And the Warriors, oh, where are the Warriors? The Warriors, they're above 500. But I thought it was worth the gamble. That ended up being a really good game, that Charlotte-Golden State game. Scary Terry hit a three to win the game at the end. It was fun. I haven't liked a lot of the odds, especially when it comes to underdogs. But I like that. That day I just kind of sat down. I was like, which two of these underdogs do I think can, or which of any of these underdogs do I think can win? And it was uh, just those two teams that I felt confident in. So I put some money down, worked out. I don't know if Charlotte continues with, uh, and Steph Curry was out for that Warriors game. He got hurt like early in the game, I think. I don't know if the Hornets stay competitive without Gordon Hayward. He's a big reason why they're good. We'll see what his injury status is. but Yeah. Get something to keep an eye on. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? We got to pick a pick game. All right. Who do you like? No, we don't want to do. Now, who's the team we haven't actually, like an off the radar team? Do Sacramento. Oh, man. Harrison Barnes. <laughs> De'Aaron Fox. You know, I like to look beyond the TNT games on Thursday. So the Mavs and the Sixers, which is, which will be a good game no doubt, and then for TNT, and then Pelicans, Bucks, Kings-Knicks, Thursday. Yep. There it is. I like that one. I like the Kings-Knicks. I like Dallas-Philly, too. Yeah. Well, we haven't done a Philly game. No, is there a Philly game tomorrow night? That would be better. Philly-Raptors, Tuesday. I was thinking Wednesday... Charlotte at Phoenix would be good. But if Hayward's banged up, it's not worth watching if that's the case. And at this point, we don't know, so why take a chance? Right. Now the Wolves and the Bulls. <laughs> what, but the Wolves are playing tomorrow night, aren't they? Yeah, they're playing the Bucks tomorrow night. Oh, Lord. Milwaukee's favorite. Oh, yeah, so gambling, that's an interesting. The the Bucks are favored by 11 and a half. But it's a coaching change. Mm. I guess traditionally that's a game you just don't touch after a coaching change because there's emotions and you just can't. Systems aren't really in place. Yeah. Like the scouting stuff is the Bucks are not going to be able to scout that one as they normally would. Right. I'd probably just take the Bucks on the money line. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Throw in game. That, that uh, Knicks... Kings is interesting. Just yeah, you know, I haven't watched the Kings at all, and we 
we've enjoyed watching the Knicks. To me, the Kings Knicks game is a four star game. Dallas at Philly, I'm going with a three star game. Friday, I kind of like the, huh? the Thursday night stuff because you can, you have time over the weekend to go back and watch the replay. Yeah, I agree. I like having time to kind of revisit games. Like maybe you can, maybe I can catch the fourth quarter in real time and then go back and watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think Nick Sacramento's competitive. I think it's fun. I think we might learn something. Let me run through just a couple more. Friday, Indiana at Boston. That sounds. I mean, it's too, Boston's kind of been struggling, and Indiana. It, they're both right in the thick of the East. I mean, that, half, that's a definitely, a, and it's an ESPN game, but they're half a we, game apart. That's that's a good game. Yeah, it is on ESPN. I don't really care. I want to find a fun game to watch. <laughs> Saturday, Indy plays New York. That's I'm more interested in Sacramento versus New York. I think, although. New York is just a game behind Indiana. Sunday, Charlotte, Sacramento. Taking that off the table, though. So, teams involved. Indiana, New York, Boston, Sacramento, Dallas, Philly. Those are the only teams that are involved in these four games. Does Indiana have a back-to-back on Thursday? Are they playing? Indiana's playing Saturday and Friday. Okay, so it's the first. Mm. The Thursday games that we've we've selected, those are Eastern and Western Conference matchups. So they're kind of one-off limited games versus that Pacers. Boston is kind of a, has long-term implications for a playoff race. So do we want to, see urgency from I think there will be some urgency on Boston's behalf and the Pacers because mm-hmm. you get you gain a game mm-hmm. on the other in the Eastern Conference standings but then I don't know Luca and the and Carlisle and crew against Daryl Morey that's sounds like a basketball love letter to me they all look actually actually like really interesting games for different reasons i agree the king's knicks is just kind of obscure mm-hmm. um i think that's why i like it better i mean the, i think the mavs should probably get their asses kicked mm. but never say never porzingis did not play tonight against memphis kings are playing the nets on tomorrow night in brooklyn so the kings they'll have a night off and they don't have to travel for that next game so hmm. that's a good sign let's do that king's next let's get weird all right what broadcast are you gonna watch mike breen clyde are you gonna watch a bunch hmm. of weirdos in sacramento being that we haven't done a sacramento game we'll probably go with the sacramento broadcast all right i like it all right let's do that let's let's kind of go off the beaten path and see what the king's got because Bagley apparently has been playing pretty good lately. Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Thursday night, Sacramento at New York. Pick game of the week. Week 10 in the NBA. Yeah, I like it. We got Fox, Heald, Barnes. 
He's questionable, but we'll see. Tyrese Halliburton and Marvin Bagley. Corey Joseph playing basketball. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be competitive. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I want to see this Halliburton kid play. That's that's a huge thing to me is watching the Halliburton. I don't want to get through half of a season and not watch one of the most budding young stars in the league. Yeah, and, and maybe Bagley. Last two weeks, Bagley's eighteen and eight. He's playing basketball. Shit. All right. There it is. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, then. All right, Bo. That's pretty much it for me. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Not that uh, I can immediately think of. I don't know of anything going on next week. Probably just going to be another busy week of figuring shit out. Same here. Well, let's call it then. All right, Jeff. Bo, thank you for coming on. It's been fun. As always. I appreciate you, buddy. Yeah. Thank you to anybody that listened. We appreciate you too. That's it. See ya. You don't understand. I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Just a baby, and a diaper is wet. Call the police! I'm strapped to the teeth, and I have all the disregard you ever believe. Calling the law, I'm fixing the draw. Alarmity, what is it? Seems to call up a brawl. Calling them now, cause it's about to go pow. I'm standing on the stretch on the thugs in the dime. Call up the truth, because I'm about to break loose. We're taking that concern, I'm breaking out of my news. I gotta listen to demands, written on the bottom. Somebody
Listen, you gon' know where I 